Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 18. Acts, chapter 18. Today in our text, Paul will stand before a judge. And I hope that reminds us as we spend time in this text that there is a judge, a righteous judge of all. And when we stand before the judge, we want to be in Christ. How many times today in our reading have we heard in Christ, through Christ, by Christ? Because how would we stand? How would we stand? Except in Christ. Acts chapter 18, we'll read verses 9 through 17. And the Lord said to Paul in the, in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Verse 12, But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat saying, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge in these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing on us now. We pray that through the preaching of your Holy Scripture that we would hear the voice of Jesus Christ. And that by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, lost souls would be saved, the redeemed would be sanctified, molded and shaped to be like Christ Jesus our Lord. Hide this preacher behind the cross, we pray. In the strong and mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and for his kingdom's sake. Last time we considered Paul in Corinth, Paul in Corinth. And, and remember, Paul's time in Corinth was after a, a very difficult second missionary journey. Not that the first missionary journey was a cakewalk, but the second one is what we are talking about here. And it was difficult. Paul would almost certainly have come into Corinth 
bearing an emotional weight, just as he bore the physical marks and scars that came from the hardships that he faced as he had come city to city. Paul, as he arrives in Corinth, was in need of encouragement and strengthening, and God met his needs. We remember from last week, Priscilla and Aquila, who proved to be great encouragement and a great help and friends for Paul throughout his ministry. We also know that Paul received a special supernatural encouragement from God. And we've read that here this morning by a vision that came to him by night. We've reread those verses to remind us of the statement that the Lord made to Paul. And I'd like to look very quickly again at these verses and at this statement and, and uh, see a few more insights for us. First, the Lord said, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking. Do not be afraid any longer. We addressed that last week. But God says, go on speaking and do not be silent. It's emphasis by repetition. Go on speaking and do not be silent. As Paul is receiving this encouragement from the Lord, maybe Paul hoped to hear the Lord say, Paul, that's enough. You don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> have you ever been in a situation like that where you hoped someone would just come along and say, this hard thing you're doing, you can stop. You don't have to do it anymore. But God doesn't say that to Paul. God doesn't say that Paul can stop the work of the ministry of the word. The preaching of the gospel must continue. Go on. Secondly, we note that God didn't say, now Paul, this, this preaching thing has been received rather poorly. People aren't liking that. It's not, it's not working. So what you should do is, maybe, maybe you should, you should start with some sort of a interpretive dance opener. Go into like some plays or, or short skits that you could put on and then end with a big musical number. That is what's going to appeal to people. That's going to get their attention. Leave this preaching off. Maybe we should rethink how we're doing ministry, Paul. That doesn't say that. Does he? What does he say? He's encouraging, but he's encouraging and says, go on speaking. You continue to do what you've been doing, what you're called to do. The preaching must continue. Go on speaking. Don't reinvent the work. Don't think outside the box. Paul as an apostle, Paul as a preacher, don't be innovative. Boy, that flies in the face of what we hear all around us in the world. And aren't we glad for innovation in so many things? But preachers cannot, must not be innovative. The, the book that we preach is in its newest parts, 2,000 years old. If you hear new stuff, you're not hearing the preaching of the word of God. 
Now, it might be new to us, right? But I haven't heard that. But has it been in there all along? And we haven't been looking. God says, go on speaking. Go on preaching the word. Do not be silent. So, beloved, this is why some 2,000 years later, we are still speaking. We are still preaching. We are still proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must not be silent. God encourages Paul in this way. And then God encourages him by saying, I am with you. I have many people in this city. And then lastly, or what we'll focus on today, no man will attack you in order to harm you. No man will attack you in order to harm you. God gives Paul this, this promise of protection, of safety. And we don't have to read very much further to see that God upholds this promise in these verses that we've read, these verses that follow almost immediately. There's an uprising of the Jews against Paul. They want to bring harm and God protects him. That's the text that we have for today. Verse 12 introduces us to a man named Gallio as the proconsul of Achaia. The proconsul of Achaia. This little phrase, Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, this was pointed to by critics of the scripture for many years as an embarrassing error. They said everyone knows that proconsuls had once governed, but, but by this time the office was replaced. There were no more proconsuls. So this is where we see the scripture in gross error or so they said. The embarrassment, liberal scholars told us, was because there were no proconsuls. But Luke here says Gallio is a proconsul. So they, they say this points us the proof of the unreliable nature of the scripture. We all know that's not the end of the story, right? Early in the 20th century, the last few years of the 1800s and up to 1910, there was an archaeological dig going on in Greece. And there was a discovery made at the Temple of Apollo where some fragments were found with writing on them. These fragments are known as the Delphi inscription, or maybe the Delphi inscription. Some of you can correct me later. D-E-L-P-H-I. Or the Gallio inscription, because of this man that we're reading about today in Scripture. Recovered there in this archaeological dig were some writings from the Emperor Claudius. You may remember from last week's message that Claudius was the emperor who had run out all the Jews from Rome. And these inscriptions that were found, the inscriptions of the emperor Claudius, Claudius called Gallio his friend. So they were close. And the proconsul of Achaia. Perhaps Claudius reinstituted this office of proconsul just for his friend uh, but for whatever reason there were proconsuls or at least there was one proconsul during the time that Paul was in Corinth 
And because of the archaeological findings, we can now pinpoint the time that Paul was in, Cor in Corinth, this, this section of Acts 18, to a pretty precise date. Gallio was proconsul in the year 51 and 52 AD, in the year of our Lord. So we know exactly in that frame when Paul was in Corinth. Wow, that's a lot of historical stuff and archaeological stuff. Is any of that going to make a difference? Is Let's just acknowledge that none of those things, I don't expect any of that data to be life-changing for you. But it is of value because it shows us that when the supposed smartest people in the world find a reason to deny the word of God, to deny it and disbelieve the Holy Scriptures. In the end, the Bible is revealed to be true. The Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is reliable. And for anyone today who has some reason to, to question or to doubt or to deny that the Bible is inerrant and infallible, the inspired Word of God, in the end, either in this life or in the next, the Bible will be proven to be God's Word without error. It is breathed out by God and it is profitable for all who will hear and heed what's written on its pages. Now, young people, especially young people, you will hear many things and those things will be said with the utmost confidence and they will be intended to cause doubt and to place questions in your mind about the reliability of the Bible. But as a matter of indisputable fact, True science, good archaeology, and good scholarship of every kind supports the scripture and shows that God's word is true and accurate. Let God be true and every man a liar. What does that mean? That, that means wise men hold to the truth of God even when every other so-called truth turns out to be a lie. God is true. His word stands. So we here in Acts 18 meet Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia. And verse 12 indicates once again there was an uprising by the Jews. It's interesting the, the wording there. The Jews rose up with one accord. We speak often about Christ uniting us, uniting his people. Something else brings unity. Hatred of Christ. Hatred of the gospel. The Jews rose up with one accord. All the Jews together. 
And this is more than just a public interruption. We've seen many of those, haven't we? In Christ's ministry and in Paul's ministry, where there's a public interruption, where there's some sort of opposing him to the people. But this is more. This is formal charges brought to the proconsul. We've been using that word proconsul. What is a proconsul? Think of it like a governor. Uh, These are formal charges brought to the proconsul. And and Paul is brought in before the judgment seat. A formal place for criminals to be prosecuted. Where sentencing would be handed down. This is serious. The Jews have risen up with one accord. The Jews came with an accusation that Paul was preaching and teaching an unapproved religion. They said that the preaching of the gospel is breaking the law, breaking the Roman law. Judaism had been approved by Rome as an accepted or better to say a tolerated religion. The Jews could practice their religion in all its ways and they could even proselytize by trying to win people to their religion as long as they didn't try to proselytize Romans. So so Judaism was accepted and legal and they're saying here, Paul, this apostle of Jesus Christ, this Christian, he is preaching an unapproved and illegal religion. They say in verse 13, contrary to the law and they meant here the Roman law you see the attitude from many of the Romans is that Christianity had been viewed as a sect or a branch or an offshoot of Judaism after all Jesus Christ is a Jew so the Romans dismissed Christianity as part of Judaism And this was used providentially by God for a time to protect his church. But the Jews hated this. They hated having Christianity lumped in with their religion. That's understandable, isn't it? How do we as Christians feel when people speak about Christianity and they name Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Christian scientists. How do we feel? Those people aren't Christians. Those are cults. And we want to be very quick to to say that. And we can be and we should be very quick to say that. The Jews felt that way. The Jews were saying, no, Christianity is not an offshoot or a sect of Judaism. And today... Many people still have attitudes like that. That Judaism and Christianity, well, they're really close. They're really just just sisters. And and I want to be clear. Christianity is the reasonable, logical, and God-intended result of all that God was working and doing through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David. This Christianity is the reasonable, logical, and intended end of all of that in God's work. We know that as Christians. But Judaism, as we know it today, Judaism, when the Jews 
rejected Christ, they ignored the reason and logic and intention of God. And they favored keeping their own rituals and festivals. Christianity is not just an offshoot of Judaism. So here, Paul is brought before the judgment seat. These accusations are made. And do you wonder what would be going on in Paul's mind? What is he thinking? There must have been, there must have been some level of deja vu. Oh, this again. One more time. I wonder how this will turn out. Will it be imprisonment? Will it be beating? Like we saw in Philippi, will it, will it be another time that he's stoned and left for dead? What will this one look like? Whatever the apostle might have been thinking about the things that had happened in the past and wondering how this would turn out, you can bet that this recent vision that came to him by night, this message from the Lord would be on his mind. You can bet that he's going over God, did I miss did, did I miss it? I thought you said I would not suffer harm at the hands of men. What are, what are we doing here at the judgment seat? God had made a promise that Paul wouldn't be harmed, but now things looked for a moment to be very harmful. Now this reminded me of when God made promises to Abraham promises concerning his son Isaac. And then God told Abraham to go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice that very son Isaac. And Abraham didn't question whether God would, would make good on his promises. Abraham knew that God would keep his promise. He thought that God would work a miracle of a certain kind and through this miraculous work God would would bring about what he had promised. And God did not do what Abraham was expecting exactly as Abraham expected it. But God there provided a substitute sacrifice. And thereby he gave us a picture of Jesus Christ, our substitutionary atoning sacrifice. God had promised Abraham and that it seemed like is God going to keep his promises and in the end he did. Here Paul, I don't know what he was thinking but I don't think Paul was doubting God. I don't think he was saying God is going to be a liar. But surely he was wondering how it is that God would work out what he was doing. Perhaps Paul's preparing his defense. What will he say to Gallio the proconsul? Perhaps Paul said, this is how God's going to do it. I'm going to get up and give a defense that I've given before so we can kind of know what Paul would have said. I'm going to get up and give my defense and Gallio, for a change, he's going to rule in my favor. That's probably how God's going to work. You know, we do we do that? Do you do that? I do that. I say, this is... This is what God's going to do. This is how God's going to work. And he almost never does it the way that I have worked out. <laughs> Paul surely is preparing a defense. He's given a defense before. He knows he's able to do it again. 
He could show from the Old Testament that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah and that he was the Savior according to scriptures. But before Paul can open his mouth to speak, Gallio pipes up. He speaks. And what he says is for us very interesting and informative. Now, we all know that God kept his promise. But what Gallio says and, and what comes out here is something for us to learn. In summary, Gallio says, I'm not going to hear an accusation in this matter. It's not that he wouldn't hear anything. I'm just not going to hear an accusation in this. But he gives reasons that are very good. And it shows us that Gallio had a really good grip on the role of government. Gallio had a really good understanding of the role of the civil magistrate. And he also knew that what was brought to him this day was outside the scope of governmental authority. Isn't it interesting that Gallio had a good understanding of the scope of governmental authority 1970 some odd years ago? And we still find people who struggle and are confused in this matter. Some think that government should have a hand in everything. That government should control absolutely everything. Bigger government is better. And government should be sovereign over all things. Government should be sovereign over worship and over churches and over our families and over the education and the raising of our children and the disciplining of our children. They believe government should control everything. And then there are those who react to that by saying government should have no authority or almost no authority. The government should stay out of everything. Let's listen to what Gallio says and what his reasoning is for why he should not hear the accusations brought against Paul. He says in verse 14, if it were a matter of wrong or vicious crime, the King James says, if it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, Think about viciousness or wicked lewdness. The idea is that if it were a matter of law, of Roman law, what he calls wrong here, wrong according to the Roman law, then it would be under his jurisdiction, that it would be right for him to hear the accusation and to make a judgment. And in addition, if it were a vicious crime, if it were wicked lewdness, if it were so heinous that everyone recognizes it as lawless, then he would address it. If it was a violation against Roman law, or if it was a violation against all human law, then it, then it would call for his interference. It would call for governmental intervention. But he says, I won't hear it because it's not that. In verse 15, he says, these are questions about words and names and your law. That is to say, these are religious matters and they have no place in a civil court. Some of you thought separation of church and state was a new idea. Gallio had this idea or some version of this idea. This doesn't belong in my court. 
He had that idea in 52 AD. And the framers of our confession, they thought it important for us to consider the role of government and its interactions and overlaps with the church. So chapter 24 of our confession is titled of the civil magistrate. And if you'd like to follow along as I read from our confession, you'll find it on page 683 of our hymnal. Not hymn 683. I don't even know if there is a hymn 683. But it's page numbers. They're much smaller at the bottom. And it's toward the back. Page 683. And it's chapter 24 if you have a little black copy of our Chapter 24, of the civil magistrate. Paragraph 1, God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, has ordained civil magistrates to be under him, over the people, for his own glory and the public good. And to this end, has armed them with the power of the sword for defense and encouragement of them that do good and for the punishment of evildoers. Paragraph two, it is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto in the management whereof as they ought especially to maintain justice and peace according to the wholesome laws of each kingdom and commonwealth. So for that end, they may lawfully now under the New Testament wage war upon just and necessary occasions. Paragraph three, civil magistrates being set up by God for the ends aforesaid, subjection in all lawful things commanded by them ought to be yielded by us in the Lord, not only for wrath, but for conscience sake. We ought to make supplications and prayers for kings and all that are in authority that under them we might live quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. If you know the scripture, even if you know the scripture a little, you can you can pick out the little things that come in there and you're like, oh yeah, that's from Romans. And you can kind of see where the scripture comes together in this summary statement. But I just want to point out some things in paragraph one. God ordained government. And it says there right at the beginning, God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, of all realms, of of everything, God ordained the civil magistrates. God ordained government. I'm going to give us a moment because some of us are so anti-government. We need, we need a moment. God ordained government. Government is whether they want to be or not. Whether anyone acknowledges it or not, government is under God. Under God. And Christian citizens, government is under God and over the people. Over the people 
for God's glory and for public good. We need to understand these things. Also in paragraph one, it states two purposes for government. Two purposes for government. Not everything is a purpose for government, but there are two purposes stated here. First, to defend and encourage law keepers, the lawful. And secondly, to punish lawbreakers. To defend and encourage the lawful, to punish lawbreakers. And I would just add here a thought for us. Not to rehabilitate the lawbreaker. That's not the role of government. But to punish. And that's a, that's a different concept. Here in Acts 18, we have before us an example of how God kept his promise to Paul through the use of means. And the means that God used was Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, the civil magistrate, the governor. God accomplished his purpose through government. Don't we wish he could still do that today? Would we say he can't? Would we say he's not? You may not like it. I may not like it. But God's will shall be done. His purpose will be accomplished. And one of the things that he'll use is government. In verse 16, Gallio drove the Jews out of his court. Certainly the Jews came in worked up. They were, they were worked up. They're ready to bring this accusation against Paul. And they're in one accord. They're worked up. And they were not ready at that moment to hear your case is dismissed. I will not hear. I will not listen to them. They weren't ready for that. So they had to be driven out. And apparently some weren't leaving as quiet and peaceably, as quickly as the court guards thought they should have. So we find in verse 17 that they seized Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and they began to beat him right there. The words here seem to be that all of them seized Sosthenes. So we had at the beginning the Jews, all, all the Jews in one accord. And here we have all the Romans, all the Greeks here in one accord. They're beating Sosthenes. I wasn't going to mention it, but I'll go ahead. There's a, there's a name of a Christian in scripture, Sosthenes. Here's the question. I don't have an answer. Is it the same guy? Did this man later become a believer in Jesus Christ? I, I don't know. I don't know that we can find an answer. But it's interesting for us to think just for a moment that God can take someone who is an enemy of the gospel and change their heart. Make them a new creation in Christ. Isn't it interesting to think and to think, well, I wonder if, if Sosthenes is an example of that. Well, you know who is an example of that? 
Paul. Paul is an example of that. One who hated Christ and hated Christianity and went about persecuting and killing and overseeing the stoning of Christians and throwing Christians into prison. And God worked miraculously that Paul's eyes would be open as he was blinded on the road to Damascus. I need to remember that. Maybe you do too. Because I know my own sinful heart. And this is not a look at Paul moment. And this is certainly not a look at Sosthenes moment. This is look at Christ. Look at what he has done. We also see in this whole ordeal how God protected his church. Whatever upset there had been in Rome that caused Claudius to, to run out all the Jews from Rome, whatever that was, here in this province, in this region, Gallio says, that's not, that's not going to happen on my watch. We're not going to have that. And, and through this decision of Gallio to not judge this matter, the church for a time was protected. Now we need to remember in this that whatever God ordains comes to pass. God has ordained whatsoever comes to pass. I, I really shouldn't say that the other way. You could say it that way. Whatever God ordains comes to pass, but flip it around. What comes to pass, God ordained. So when Paul here is, in our text is protected from harm, this is God's providential hand and, and we can easily be grateful for it and we can praise God for it. But we need to remember that when Paul is arrested and beaten and later when Paul will be killed, God is still sovereign. God is still providentially working to accomplish his perfect will. Today it may be easy for us to look at the world's political stage and to think there is no hope. Or we may look at the world's political stage and think, well, there is hope in this political figure or in this military leader or in this military movement. There's hope. But really, if we focus our eyes on the things in the world, the things under the sun, we'll come to the same conclusion as Solomon Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, everything is empty, there is no hope. As long as we focus on the things under the sun. But we Christians must keep our eyes focused on God who is sovereign over all things. Over God who ordains whatsoever comes to pass and we must trust His wise providence. God help us to have a right and biblical view of government 
Help us to, to serve in the civil magistrate when and where you place us in those situations. In small ways like casting a vote and in other ways like serving however we can. Help us, help us to know how and when to submit to government as we submit to you. Lord, where we where we have been wrong, point out our sin and bring repentance to us. And God, help us to know when the day comes, if the day comes, when we must obey God rather than men. And in that day, help us to be gracious for that moment. God, we thank you and we give you praise for the protection that you gave to Paul by the means of the government here, this proconsul. And we thank you and we praise you for working today to set up governments and to bring down governments. And by doing so, you accomplish your will. So then we pray as our Lord has taught us, your kingdom come. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we pray that your will being done on earth would start here with us, with me. in Christ's name and for his kingdom's sake that we ask these things.